This is Not Quite Dead, a gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies, but sometimes we really just like to keep it shallow. I'm your host, Kate. I'm Megan. Get ready for all the spoilers. movie is supposed to be for kids but it's so weird like I can't imagine showing it to kids <laughs> for <What>? some reason <laughs> I grew up on this movie I think back in the early days of torrent when you would rent a movie from blockbuster and copy it onto a blank VHS I watched that VHS a lot <laughs> This was one of my favorite movies. I don't think my family ever committed a video theft like that when I was a kid, but I can totally see people doing it. <laughs> it was a real thing. Yeah. You bought a tape deck that had two tape slots in it. One side would be your blank and one side would be your original. And you would just play the tape and record it off the TV. And also a lot of movies of ours were just copied, recorded from TV. Oh my gosh. Did you watch that blockbuster documentary that was on Netflix yes. a year ago or so? Okay. So, great. So in that documentary, they were talking about how the movie studios put a really high premium on these tapes at first and like to buy, yes. to buy a VHS was like 20, 30 bucks, which, like in the eighties, which like no wonder people were stealing it. <laughs> I was watching a documentary about this movie. It's called Wolfman's Got Nards. And they talk about how when this movie was released, you couldn't get it on VHS. And it would be like a hundred bucks if you wanted your own copy. Oh my yeah. God. <laughs> of 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 film in that back then. So when these movies started to be re-released, it was a big deal because people could get movies that they weren't able to before. Wow, that's wild. I mean, I think that the way that we watch movies now is just so different. I mean, we have streaming platforms that like there are some movies I've watched so many times just because it's available on a streaming platform. But it's interesting to think about like Monster Squad, which did not do well when no. it came out in theaters. Bombed. Totally bombed. This movie made a quarter of its budget in the box office. <laughs> yeah. This is one of those, I'm going to call it a cult classic. I mean, there's a lot of debate about what that term actually means. This movie came back into the zeitgeist because all the kids who grew up watching it wanted their own copy. I remember when I was in college, I was at a comic book convention and there were some booths where people would sell like bootleg DVDs <laughs> and ripped stuff. And oh, I man. saw somebody had Monster Squad as a as a burned DVD. And of course, I bought it because I couldn't find it anywhere. So anyways, it's really funny to hear you say you don't like it. I, I wasn't sure how you would feel about this movie, but this movie was really important to me and a lot of other weird 90s kids, 80s kids growing up. So I'm excited to talk through it anyway. <laughs> I mean, going back to why I like have a hard time imagining this being a kid's movie or showing it to kids. Of course, I watched it for the first time 
this year as a 31 year old woman. Right. Yeah. And the number of times that they use the F word slur (laughs) alone (laughs) is enough for me to be like, I don't think I would show this to a child. (laughs) Weird. Right. I totally forgot about that word being used in this movie. Mm -hmm. I think at the time, Honestly, it would have just gone over my head. I definitely never used that word. It didn't stick with me. But yeah, I'd be nervous to have a kid watching this repeat that word. I would too. It, and I think that there's a couple of other elements that I'm sure we'll hit on in all of our um, talking points around this movie, so I don't want to spoil them too much. But yeah, there's there's just like some weird elements that just feel to me like so of its time in the 80s where I'm like yeah like 80s to early 90s kids watch this and turned out totally fine but I don't think that it's like a cultural thing I'd want to bring back for my kid today to be like oh you have to watch Monster Squad (laughs) yeah this is one of those movies that really benefits from nostalgia but I do hope they remake it one day I think it would be a great base for a remake okay so not that long ago I want to say in the 2010s Michael Bay's production company I think bought the rights and wanted to do a remake Michael Bay yeah I know (laughs) trash star destroy anybody um (laughs) and fans lobbied against it <gasps> no. Yeah, so you would be in the minority. People did I, not I want guess them, I would. People did not want them to sully the nostalgic memory of the original Monster Squad. But I agree with you. I think a remake would actually probably do this movie a lot of good. And I actually think like a I Michael think so too. A Michael Bay remake would just be wild and I'm I just would kind of want to see where that where that went. This is a perfect match for Michael Bay. Michael Bay does kid movies. Yes, he should definitely do Monster Squad. Yes. I think it would only help. Yeah. Well, let's get a quick summary so we can start talking through this mess of a nostalgic movie. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to keep this summary very high level. So we have a group of uh, kids in the 80s, these boys who are part of this little club that they call the Monster Squad, where they totally worship classic universal movie monsters and they have all of this trivia and they've got a clubhouse and they are not the cool kids (laughs) they're not the cool kids in their school and they are led by this boy named sean who receives a copy of van helsing's diary written in the original german (laughs) and Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Through this diary, they learn about an amulet that happens to be in their town, happens to be vulnerable to destruction, like the next day. (laughs) And they are up against Dracula, who is bringing back all of these classic movie monsters. Uh, Wolfman, um, is it Creature from the Black Lagoon, and the Mummy, and Frankenstein to, they want to try and get the amulet so that they can destroy it and let evil out into the world. These boys want to get the amulet so they can protect it and like make sure that, that everything stays as it should. And 
that's that's like the movie is like these these boys who have been very into these classic movie monsters find out that not only are they real but have to actually face against them you bringing up the diary made me laugh I always forget about the diary and the amulet I mean it's it's a pretty big part of the story (laughs) but I'm more (laughs) yeah I'm more in invested in watching them interact with the monsters so I always forget about that and how it just is a movie of convenience right like the diary the amulet and the timing all happen to align my gosh (laughs) I know it is very convenient is the perfect word for it because it's the mom happens to get this diary for him that he's been wanting but this is a mom who also that would have to be a very rare gift also yeah and like she bought it in german and this is a mom who like doesn't know the difference between van helsing and godzilla like i was like how did you come upon this diary this doesn't make any sense our mom is played by mary ellen trainer who also was the mom in goonies this oh is my like gosh. her thing. 80s mom. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's such an 80s mom too. She's like when we meet her, she's in her 80s kitchen and she's in obviously like a business dress and heels and an apron. Yes. <laughs> doing the dishes or cooking or something. And she's like, "Oh, like honey, I got you that diary from Godzilla that you've been <laughs> looking for. <laughs> like she just is so like clueless. Mike always jokes about um, moms and like the Nintendo effect where like every video game is Nintendo. Everything's Nintendo. Everything's yeah. Nintendo. Yeah. Everything for this mom is Godzilla and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Another familiar face that popped up was Jason Hervey and he played EJ mm-hmm. in the Wonder Years. He's a bit bully role in this one. Yeah. Yes. Were there any other faces you recognized, Kate? I recognized. I'm sure if you would. Literally zero faces in this movie. Okay, great. I have a few more for (laughs) you then. (laughs) Well, Tom Noonan, you wouldn't have recognized him. He plays Frankenstein, but he was our old man in House of the Devil. Oh, okay, cool. Nice little tie in to a few seasons back. See, you wouldn't have had House of the Devil without Monster Squad, Kate. There it's you very go. Important. We wouldn't have had <laughs> RoboCop three had director Fred Decker not made this movie. So exactly, <laughs> John Grease. You remember him? Nope. He's Uncle Rico in Napoleon Dynamite. Plays oh. Wolfman. Oh, oh my gosh! This is okay. So yeah. this cast run through is going to be the thing that makes me rewatch this movie. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you can you can recognize him when he is yelling at the cops to shoot him. He's like, I'm a werewolf, kill me. That's when you can see oh, Uncle Rico. Oh my gosh, I could see it. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah. The pilot in the very beginning, mm-hmm. very, very small role, is played by David Provol, and he's in The Sopranos. Okay. All right. So this has got like people who've gone on to do more. Better things than Monster Squad. (laughs) Everyone's got to start somewhere. One last face, which is only familiar via proxy, is Michael Faustino. He plays the littlest brother. He's the younger brother of David Faustino, who plays Bud Bundy. 
in Married with Children. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. And he's adorable. Yeah, he is really cute. He's the, of the boys, he's the cutest. Yes. Yeah. So, okay. These boys, there's four of them. And they're of that age where they're like late elementary school to late middle school. And so they're in that like 11 to 14 year old age range. And there's just something about how boys of that age range were written in the 80s and 90s that I cannot stand. They're just so obnoxious. <laughs> you mean you don't like how they call their friend fat kid? Uh, they're so mean to each other. And Sean, the leader boy of the group, has the cutest little sister of all Phoebe time. Phoebe the Phoebe. Phoebe is so cute. And she, she wants so to cute. be in the club. She wants to be part of the monster squad. And they're so mean to her. Also, these boys are total creeps. They're just... Yes, we do get some blackmail with nudie photos going on. Oh, my on. God. And they're not only are they spying through the window of <laughs> this teenage girl. She's in high school. And they're taking... Okay, but I think Rudy is, too. I thought that they said that Rudy was an eighth grader. And I couldn't tell if he was is eighth he really? grade in high school or... he looks like he's in college. He looks like... A Charlie Sheen knockoff. I was like, oh, they couldn't yeah. get Charlie Sheen. <laughs> <laughs> but not only are they taking nude photos of this high school girl, it's one of the Monster Squad's older sister. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, Kate, this was the 90s. This was the 80s. This is how we all were. I know. We were all terrible children. <laughs> They're horrible. They're little monsters. They're the monsters. They're the they real are monsters. They are the monsters. Yeah. <laughs> No, I mean, not to, yeah, I can't, I can't make excuses with a straight face, but this is what I remember. I remember thinking this all was normal. The older kids pick on the little kids. We call each other names. We use bad words when the parents aren't looking. Sure. I totally. Yeah. So when I was growing up, I was really into John Hughes movies, like Pretty in Pink, Sixteen Candles, Breakfast Club, like St. Elmo's Fire, like all that stuff. And watching those movies through a 2022 lens is, like, mm -hmm. horrific. It, they're, like, super racist and sexist. And, like, there's no ideas uh, even approaching what sexual consent looks like. Like, but I love them. Like, I absolutely love those movies. I think that they're great. They're, like, really good, like, sick day movies. And so I do think that if I had seen this movie when I was a kid, I would probably love it today. <laughs> I think that's what's going on with it. There's yeah. definitely issues. It's it's one of those movies that has some of these things going on, but I kind of want to just talk about them <laughs> and move on because there's no way to fix it anymore, right? Uh, especially if the fans are demanding that we don't remake it. <laughs> I know. I know. They're like, "You leave. <laughs> you leave my fat kid alone." <laughs> Because I can't imagine them remaking this movie and having a character named Fat Kid. No. No. Definitely not. There's no way. Definitely not. It's a very like, um, oh, what's the kid's name in Goonies? Where he's- Chunk. Chunk. Yeah, exactly. Chunk. Like, no. No. Is no. it Chunk? No. Chunk is the weird. I'm thinking of Chonky from I Think You Should Leave. 
<laughs> it is chunk. Chunk. It is chunk. Okay, it is okay. chunk. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's a mean spirited name too, and it they is. make him do that dance right to they get do. into the clubhouse. This, but this one, this movie feels really mean spirited in terms of the jokes that they pull and the blackmail that they pull, <laughs> oh and calling gosh. a five year old a bitch. Oh my gosh, I know it's it's one of those things where I do think about like. I mean, it's about these boys of an age. It's totally like a time capsule of a movie, but also like prepubescent into early pubescent like boys are kind of shit heels. Oh yeah. <laughs> They're like They're, they are they can't mean. help it. Yeah, they are kind of mean and like full of hormones and would probably <laughs> blackmail a girl <laughs> into helping them with their ritual. <laughs> You know, boys will be boys, right, guys? JK. But it's true. I mean, we we go through these hormonal changes and we have problems growing up following the rules or maybe being nice or always making the right decision. And that's essentially what's going on here. You know, it's definitely a coming of age movie and mm-hmm. they happen to be coming of age during a bit of a dark time <laughs> for diversity and kindness we'll say (laughs) it's that reagan era it's like yeah Yeah. you just see this in movies of this time which is so funny i mean talking just about like more like kid things that i was just totally baffled by and i was like maybe this was an 80s thing but maybe it's just a movie it's that i think that that's my my issue too is like not being like from like this time period or like knowing like some of the nuances the kid Rudy, who is a little bit older, so he has like shop class and he has like access to like more things than like the younger boys do. They assign him the task of like finding or making weapons to kill all of these monsters. And in shop class, he's using a bullet mold to make silver bullets. And I was like, where did he get a bullet mold from? Like, were these just things that they let? It's the 80s. <laughs> I know. I was like, was this an 80s thing or is this like a movie thing? <laughs> I can't answer that. God, by the time I was in junior high, they got rid of shop class. So I wouldn't even know what was there. But I know I was half expecting to see a book, see him pull out a book of like how to make your own crossbow. <laughs> <laughs> no, he just class. steals that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, yep, the 80s were the 80s, and we start off this movie with this group of boys who have a monster club, mm-hmm. which, looking back, it's sort of, sort of dorky. It's a very, very, <laughs> it's very narrow, it, it's a very narrow scope for a club. <laughs> Yes. I had never thought about that as a kid, obviously. Like, Mm -hmm. why would that have come up? But I was rewatching it thinking, what do they do? Like, monsters don't show up every day to fight. They just sit around talking about monsters. Yeah. And because this movie is based on the universal monsters, the scope of the monsters that they talk about are very few. Very few. This quiz, they give Rudy a quiz. Two ways to kill a vampire. Mm-hmm. Who is Frankenstein? And two ways to kill a werewolf. 
which ends up being a trick question. Mm -hmm. So that's it. Like, what else do you really need to know (laughs) about these monsters to be in this club? I know. They left off questions about the creature from the Black Lagoon and the mummy, but... (laughs) Oh, that's right. The mummy. But otherwise, they got them. I ran a club when I was in sixth grade, and we started out as a sticker club. Oh, fun. Yeah. We would sit around at lunch and recess and trade stickers with each other. That was the crux of our our club. A few months of that go by. Actually, who knows? It probably was less. Everything seems so much longer when you're a kid. Not much time goes by. And we are all deciding, you know, we've had enough of the stickers. Like we've, we had fun trading stickers. We'd like to do something else. So we just turned it into a best friends forever club. And we saved uh, newspapers and recycled them and like saved money to go to Disneyland. Oh my God, that's so cute. <laughs> right. And more importantly, <laughs> it's a lot more broad. <laughs> There's more to do together, right? When you're not just focused on one aspect of your relationship. I wish I knew what this club did day to day. I feel like I can imagine what this club would do in a modern era where you have like more access to like watching these movies on demand or like you know online forums to like talk about these things or comic books or whatever but like these kids just seem like they sit in a tree house and like quiz each other on (laughs) trivia related to these to these monsters and spy on the naked sister next door yeah gross (laughs) But I the mean, the treehouse is yeah. cool. The treehouse is really cool. I wish, I desperately wished for like a treehouse clubhouse when I was a kid. Yes. Same. My dad built us a little shed in the backyard that we kind of used as a playhouse, but it wasn't the same. It was nice, but it wasn't the same. I didn't have any friends who had treehouses. So that was just not a thing for me when I was a kid. And you lived amongst all the trees. I did when I was a little bit older. So I think uh. I was probably post post club club age when <laughs> when I was in the mountains. <laughs> but uh yeah, I didn't have any clubs like that um when I was a kid. This club is very very specific and very exclusionary towards Phoebe for absolutely no reason. They want Rudy to be part of their club because he sticks up for fat kid. <laughs> That's right. I love the way he makes the bully eat the chocolate bar. And the bully like does it, which I think is cool. I, I thought that was such a badass move the first time I saw it. <laughs> I was watching this movie with Mike and he was like, why does this kid look like he's from the 50s? And I was like, I think that mm-hmm. was a cool thing in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, it's a cycle. Just like how scrunchies are coming back. It's terrible. Exactly. I, he's like such a little <laughs> greaser. He's got these like tight, yeah. le- tight Levi's and his leather jacket. <laughs> he's very James Dean. Did you have greasers when you went to high school? No. I think we I, did. Oh, really? Yeah. There's a little pocket of them. That's really funny. No, we had uh, goth kids um, and emo kids, which I was a part of. There were kids who. We had really strict rules around being able to wear gang colors or gang affiliated colors because mm-hmm. we had actual gang activity at my school. So, Same. so uh, <laughs> there were people who would do things 
to associate more with one group or another while not like explicitly wearing gang colors. So there were things like that. And I was in high school at a very hot time for Abercrombie and Fitch. Oh, yeah. As well. The kind of resurgence of the prep. I think I was exiting when that started to get big again. We have a nice fellow kids moment in the principal's office talking about monsters and how he used to think monsters were cool, but now he thinks science is cool. Oh, I hated this. (laughs) He was like, you know, when I was a kid, I used to draw monsters too. And I was like, no, you didn't. (laughs) No, a lot of kids don't draw monsters. No. (laughs) This monster club thing is very... who I I don't know any kids that are specifically into monsters so I thought it was really funny that he was trying to play into this narrative that they'll grow out of this I will say everyone goes through a monster face I will say as a new mom I am really I'm really into when I meet kids or hear about people's kids who have hyper-specific interests. I think it's really, really, really interesting. And I want my kid to like feel like fully empowered to like get really into something. <laughs> well, it makes gift giving a lot easier. I'll say that. Makes gift <laughs> giving easier. Um, I, I mean, how many kids are into monsters, especially like the Universal Classic monsters? Probably not a lot. Uh, But you hear about some kids who are, like, really into, like, making home movies. And they, Mm -hmm. like, and, like, that's what they do is they make home movies. I eat that up. I love it. I love it when, like, kids are, like, this is what I like. And so I spend all my time doing this and trying to get better at it. I just think it's great. It is great. I really want that Stephen King Rolls shirt. Super cool. Very, very into that shirt. (laughs) And you can find them online, too. Yes, I did find a link to one that looks pretty legit, like it's from the movie. So put that on our blog. If you guys want one of these shirts, then go check it out. I love the idea that this kid probably had to make that shirt, too. Yeah, he probably did, because I doubt that shirt ever existed. Yeah, I just can't. I I find it hard to believe that like he would have been able to like go to a mall and like find this shirt and so this is a little kid who's really into Stephen King so like some of those things I'm like oh that's cool these kids are like maybe a little broadly like into horror but we only ever see them in this club like being very focused on (laughs) very narrow parts of the culture this is our second time kids during this era are interested in Stephen King there was a Stephen King reference in the Fear Street trilogy and that was our young sheriff and he said yeah everybody's into Stephen King so it must have just been really common for kids around this age to be into this genre oh and there was so much Stephen King content coming out in the 80s too this was when he was like heavy into coke and he was like just pumping out content (laughs) and his (laughs) movie adaptations were really popular and so they were making a lot of movie adaptations too so he was like definitely part of this like little little 80s horror zeitgeist as well what did you think when the kids went to visit the creepy german neighbor um you know i (laughs) 
<laughs> I was like, oh, okay, so he's Jewish. They're trying to tell us that he's Jewish because there's a menorah on the table. And I was like, so they they know about Jewish things in said design, but nothing about actual Jewish people. <laughs> uh, don't menorahs, I mean, wouldn't that be like us putting out a Christmas tree? Yes, yes. It is specifically <laughs> for Hanukkah. Like you, you don't use menorahs for any other Jewish holiday. and. I mean, it's a thing that like people still get wrong today. There was like really recently some company was like happy Passover and like they just used like generic clip art of like Jewish adjacent things that had like right. a dreidel and like a menorah. Dreidel, in it. And it's like, yeah. and it's like, those aren't, <laughs> those are very like seasonally specific things. They're like, they're not just for general use when talking about Jewish people or holidays. I'm trying to think of how that could equate to like a Christian or like American designs, like maybe like American wallpaper that's just like a mixture of hamburgers and Christmas trees and footballs and and, and like Easter bunnies or something like you like just, just like a just mishmash random. of like stuff we yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I was like oh, okay so he's Jewish and that's an interesting twist like he's not a German bad guy he's just a German Jewish guy and then the twist I was like what who is this twist for <laughs> which was my other complaint one of my other complaints about who this movie is for because they they have him say something like oh i've known my share of monsters yeah and then it's like a zoom on his concentration camp tattoo <laughs> Which I did not understand as a kid. That's what I mean. Is like yeah. you saw this movie as a kid. You loved this movie as a kid. And then it's when you're an adult, you're like, oh, it's because he survived the Holocaust. Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot darker than this movie really needs, especially because kids won't get it. Exactly. Kids will not get it unless you pause the movie to explain to them like the horrors of the Holocaust and like <laughs> we're gonna take a minute we're gonna have that talk guys we're gonna have that talk we're gonna talk about sex no we're gonna talk about the Holocaust <laughs> and then we'll get back to your monster squad movie I mean kids need to learn about the Holocaust it, it is essential education who even knows that they're getting it in public school anymore but I just think that it's a very, very weird insertion into this movie that has zero bearing on the rest of the movie. Yeah. It doesn't come up again. It doesn't matter. He's just a nice German guy. That's all I ever took him for. Oh, he's a nice German guy. They were wrong. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Which is still what he is for the rest of the movie. Like they could have yeah. just been like, oh, don't judge a book by its cover. Like they were scared of him because his yard is overgrown and he's a little bit of a recluse, but they go inside his house and it's like very neat and he's got a lot of books and he's very kind to them and serves them high. They didn't need to add in this detail if they weren't going to expand on it or make it have any kind of meaning. Very weird. Super weird. <laughs> but 
very convenient that he was around so that he could translate the diary for them. Oh, I know. And it's so funny because it is really easy to talk about this movie without talking about the actual plot of this movie, which is like they translate the diary and then they realize that there's this amulet and then they happen to like find the the amulet is in their town, of course, and it's booby trapped so the monsters can't get it, but they can get to it. Yeah, there's just a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Kate, don't worry about that stuff. Yeah, they start, they go on a little excursion to get the amulet, which they do find. It's being guarded by Dracula and his brides. And Dracula has also schemed with the other monsters to, like, go get the kids. Because apparently the kids are the biggest threat. I want to talk about Dracula for a second. Okay. (laughs) I was like... This is the most spirit Halloween looking Dracula I've ever seen. I know. (laughs) You asked me this question when we were doing our vampires season. You know, when you hear the word Dracula or vampire, right, what comes into your mind first? And this guy, this, the way he looks is what I think of when I think vampire or Dracula. He's got the widow's peak. And the yep. slicked back black hair because he used to be a piece of shit. Um, <laughs> and that like cape with the red line, like everything about it. I'm like, oh, this is very stereotypical Dracula. All the monsters are fairly stereotypical. They're pretty standard. Mm-hmm. You're pretty standard creature from the Black Lagoon. Mm-hmm. It's very fishy, very cool looking. We do have to talk about these monsters. Because this was a Stan Winston movie. So the costumes are actually really great, aside from Dracula, who really just had to wear some special clothes. The mummy is just your standard rotting mummy. Mm-hmm. Uh, although he looks a lot cooler, I think, than than other mummies. He looks a lot more like decrepit and decaying and not quite so clean and intact. You can tell that he's very dusty. And, yeah, decayed underneath the wraps. And when they unravel him later, he he just falls apart. I liked, I liked that. I was like, I oh, love this is that. Good. Yeah, that was real. That was cool when they use the, the crossbow to, <laughs> to pin his um, wrappings so that he comes undone. I thought that was pretty cool. And I was really chalking up the, the, monster design because like you said all of them apart from Dracula are actually pretty cool and I was like oh this is one of the benefits of being able to draw from pre-existing characters is you would have a studio that has access to these cool costumes and I thought the werewolf actually looked pretty cool I love the werewolf it it is really cool and Frankenstein looks great also you can't tell who's under there but they really blend with his skin really well the team that worked on the monsters got permission from universal to to reuse this set of monsters again but they just had to be kind of careful that they didn't look too close or i they look pretty close but exact replicas of the universal monsters another thing that they did with this team was they split people up into groups to each work on a monster and they put people in the groups that had never done 
that type of costume or that type of makeup design before. So everybody was working on something new to them. And it was just a way to like bring something new to the table for these monsters since they didn't want to do exact copies. That's really cool. I like that. It would have been so fun to work on that set. In terms of the monsters that Dracula is assembling to help get this amulet, I feel like it was really short-sighted of him to not verify that all of the monsters were actually on board with this plan. (laughs) On his side. (laughs) I think Frankenstein was originally. (laughs) Yeah, and then he meets Phoebe. (laughs) And who can resist little Phoebe? She's She's so cute. She's so cute. But I mean, the wolfman doesn't want to be a werewolf. (laughs) This is also true. You can really only reason with the wolfman when he's a werewolf because then he's a werewolf. So he'll probably listen to you. But yeah, the whole movie prior to him turning into a werewolf, it's it's this dude who's like, hey, um, you got to shoot me because I'm going to kill everybody. (laughs) Yeah, he takes himself to the police station and is like, please lock me up. Please lock me up. Uh, and then the cops shoot him <laughs> in the police station. <laughs> he doesn't want to be evil. Frankenstein is very easily converted to the kid's side, handily converted. And so Dracula really just has the creature from the Black Lagoon and the mummy, which these two are pretty weak. Yeah. Up until the Wolfman turns into the werewolf and then he's kind of back with Dracula. I don't understand how Van Helsing couldn't take care of these guys. They seem like bozos, to be honest. Agreed. I mean, Dracula's just driving around in a hearse. Like he's driving a a car. (laughs) Like I feel like anytime you have like a like an antagonist where it's like you know how they're getting around it just really takes the wind out of your sails in terms of scariness this is true but you're right we do get to see werewolf kick some butt Mm -hmm. he tosses around the well the father who's also the sheriff gets tossed around by werewolf and at some point uh they blow him up with a stick of dynamite yes they do (laughs) And it's not silver, so it doesn't kill him. And eventually, all his body parts reanimate and come back into the werewolf. That was a really cool special effect. And I like how they acknowledge that this is not how you kill a werewolf. Yeah, they went back to that trick question earlier in the movie. Creature from the Black Lagoon was really easy to kill. It's very a very mortal creature. Yeah, he was my least favorite. I felt like the I felt like the plot kept forgetting about him and then it was at that final con- yes. confrontation at the end. They're like, "Oh yeah, and here's the creature from the Black Lagoon and then we're going to shoot him." But this was a great moment for Horace. Horace has been harassed all movie. He's been called fat kid and the f-word and he now has this moment of redemption where he has a shotgun. The bullies who were making fun of him earlier are locked away in a little store acting scared. And he saves them. He he blasts away the creature from the Black Lagoon. And they they say something, something fat kid, right? I forget what exactly they say to him. 
I love the way he charges his gun and he's like, my name is Horace. It's so good. <laughs> he's taking it back. I love it. I love the way the camera looks at him. It's a very heroic shot for Horace. And and uh, that kid needed that moment. Some nice redemption for him. The ending is a big portal mess. It's It's when we finally get to see the amulet and the diary being used to open up limbo. Mm-hmm. Timing wise, this is our very convenient moment for this ceremony to take place in order to open up limbo and push evil into it. Conveniently, once every hundred years happens to be today. So, of course, what do the kids need with every with every ritual? We need a virgin. They need a virgin. They decide that they need the kid's hot older sister that they've been spying on this movie. She's very easy to blackmail because they have a lot of photos of her <laughs> in various states of undress. Uh, why does it have to be a female virgin? That's a good question, Kate. It's never explained. And it usually, you know, I don't think it ever really has to be. But it's a movie, so got to be a girl <laughs> i felt like it was going for a comedic beat when she totally. reads, she reads the incantation and it doesn't work and then they're like what do you mean you're not a virgin and she was like it was just with like so and so and he doesn't count and i was like oh my god it was more of like it's a so perfect moment than like yeah. a funny moment for me and so then they're like what available girl is at hand and like of course they're like five-year-old sister (laughs) poor little phoebe who can barely read (laughs) now she has to read german i know they're like she's a virgin and i was like can we not (sighs) talk about like five-year-old girls being virgin can just like one of you guys like figure out this incantation i'm like um how about you buddy i know you're a virgin yeah, I, that is always such a funny trope. And as a kid watching this, I mean, that's how I understood that word. Yeah, virgin is, it has to do with a girl. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't really, I don't think I totally understood what they were going for, what they wanted sexuality wise, but I just knew that that word was associated with girls. Oh, totally. Which is why it was a fun little reversal when we did Hocus Pocus. And I know. Yeah, we've got this virgin boy. Loved it. <laughs> <laughs> so adorable little Phoebe reads the, well, she recites the incantation and opens up limbo. And now the whole town is sort of being sucked into this portal. <laughs> and like Van Helsing, like, yes, kind of comes out of this. Gives a thumbs up to the kids. Yeah. He's like a cartoon character now. Yeah. I was like, how does he, he know thumbs up? <laughs> and he helps, you know, drag Dracula into, into limbo with him. Dracula and sadly also Frankenstein. We haven't really talked about Frankenstein and Phoebe, the, their relationship at this point. It's really sweet. They definitely like early on like reference like the original Frankenstein where he the monster 
you know, befriends a young girl and then um, doesn't it in the original he like accidentally kills the little girl? I think that they're kind of riffing on that because like he doesn't kill Phoebe, obviously, like he just loves her. Oh, you mean in the actual Frankenstein story? Yeah, like in the actual Frankenstein story. That's a good question. I'm not entirely familiar with Frankenstein. I don't think there's a little girl that I remember him killing. I thought it was Frankenstein's beloved, like the doctor's. But I'm also thinking of a made-for-TV movie version, so that could be totally different. Oh, it's not that he kills her. He's out in the wilderness, and he sees a young girl who's drowning, and he goes to save her, and the little girl's dad um, shoots him because he thinks that Frankenstein is trying to kill the girl. That's what happens in the original story. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with that. You'd think Dracula would know this about Frankenstein? That he likes, that he like has an affinity, not no, saying affinity towards little girls. He befriends. It sounds wrong. <laughs> yeah. He befriends little girls. Yes. He's, he's, he's amenable. He's very protective of their innocence. There you go. There we go. Okay. <laughs> because that is what she is. She She sees him as just a person. She doesn't see him as a monster or scary and you can tell that Frankenstein is self-conscious like he touches his face and he's like am I scary you know because he doesn't want to be a monster he didn't want to be reanimated no I when she gives him the mask to put on right to kind of Mm -hmm. I think the kids give him a mask to play with and he goes scary scary and I was like oh you're not scary Frankenstein you're friendly yes and the kids give Phoebe like zero credit for like befriending Frankenstein and bringing him to them. You're right. <laughs> they're just mean to her. Yeah, they're like, "Great. Now we've no got Frankenstein. Get out of, get out of here, Phoebe." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Phoebe opens the portal and then the portal sucks away Frankenstein and it is so sad to watch them part ways. I legitimately, every time, even since I was a little kid, get sad at this part where he's getting sucked into the portal. I will say that the plot between Phoebe and Frankenstein is the plot I was most invested in in this movie. Sure, sure. <laughs> easily, easily. Because it's cute. Yeah. It's a really cute it is plot cute. line. Phoebe gives him a little stuffed animal to remember her by so he won't be lonely in the void (laughs) it's very cute (laughs) right what are they doing in there it's it opens up once every hundred years i know i know we're gonna need like a 2087 monster squad 2087 (laughs) (laughs) my favorite part of this movie is when the army shows up though Yeah. Okay. There's like a whole deal with the adults in this movie that we haven't even touched on. The (laughs) arm. We can start with the army, but I definitely want to talk about the parents' relationship. Definitely. We kind of we skipped the montage. This, uh, you know, every '80s movie needs a good montage. There was a, a montage where they were prepping for all this monster slaying they were they were about to do, and in that montage, you see the littlest brother. Writing a letter using crayons 
to the army asking the army to come and get rid of the monsters. And it's very cute and very forgettable until the end when the army shows up with the letter and they go, where's Eugene? (laughs) I love that they take it seriously. Yes. That's all it takes, guys, to summon the army. (laughs) They didn't have anything better to do in 1987. They didn't have Desert Storm yet. (laughs) That was great. The the parents in town, of course, aren't really taking the kids seriously at the beginning, although the sheriff dad is kind of running his own parallel. He's like doing his own parallel investigation into like what's going on because they are dealing with the wolf man and like things going awry around the town. But like bigger than that is this like ongoing plot about the marriage troubles between the mom and the dad and how like the dad's putting his career first and like skipping out on marriage counseling sessions so he can go continue his investigation. Right. Yeah. And I was like, why is this in a kid's movie? Like this is actually really real. (laughs) It's real and they're not actually having the kids deal with it. There's nothing to learn from it. So it does seem like a weird thing to throw in. I get the sense that the topic of family troubles was just something that kids were dealing with more of in the 80s, but they didn't really know how to talk about it in this movie or how to make it relevant. It was just happening. We get him kind of overhearing or eavesdropping on the (laughs) fights between the mom and the dad and I mean, even at the end, I was like, okay, like the (laughs) mom. Okay, so uh, the scene where the dad shows up at the house and Dracula is there and his his partner gets blown up in the squad car and Dracula turns into a bat and flies away and the wife witnesses it. And she has this look on her face like, if I had only known that this is what you're dealing with at work, (laughs) I wouldn't be such a shrew. (laughs) And I was like, oh, that's how we're going to resolve these marriage problems, I guess. (laughs) Like the monsters are almost like a like a stand in for their issues. And how do we solve them? We just blow them away. Mm-hmm. There's not a good parallel in the movie. The kids don't bring it up. They're not like, oh, I just want to be with my friends because my parents are going through this. It's It just sort of happens and things just sort of work out. And it's not really clear why. It, it I, I get the sense it's because it should. Yeah. It's, it's sort of how I felt about those those elements in the movie. I can see that. Well, Kate, would you recommend this movie? If you watched it (laughs) before the age of 15 (laughs) for the first time, then sure. Go ahead. Rewatch it. (laughs) I'm sure it's super nostalgic and really fun. I wouldn't recommend it otherwise, though. I don't think it's, like, fun enough to re watch it as an adult for the first time and I think that there's a lot of a lot of stuff that's just is not going to mean anything to your kids if you try and watch it with your kids these days and they might pick up some like really egregious like sexual slurs 
Um, so I would say no. I mean, it was fine. It's not the worst movie that we've watched, but I don't think I'd recommend it. Well. <laughs> well, I never. <laughs> I can't say I would recommend it either because I know it's one of those movies that really just benefits from nostalgia. I think I would recommend it if you're curious, but then at that point, it doesn't need to be recommended because you're already curious. If you watch this as a kid and now you have a kid and you want to watch it with them, I think it will be a lot more meaningful than just watching this for the first time. It, it probably won't land. And yeah, there's some questionable stuff in here. There's some questionable decision making that went on with the writing. So you could you could forget it. I don't think it's a terrible movie. I think it's it's just a product of its time. Um, and I still like it and I will still rewatch it every now and then. I think that's totally fair. And I think that that's like, okay, like I think that there's going to be movies that I watched as a kid that I have a huge nostalgic connection to that I would say, yeah, if you've got the connection to it, like go for it, enjoy it. But it's not going to be for everybody. <laughs> it's true. You know, I saw this movie before I saw Goonies. I saw Goonies, I think, in middle school for the first time. And I was like, oh, I like Monster Squad better. <laughs> Even though Goonies is definitely a better movie, I have the connection to this movie that I didn't have with Goonies. Yeah, I didn't watch Goonies as a young kid. And so I've always thought it was fine. But there are people who are crazy for it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I think this is another one of those. Is it craft time? Oh, thank goodness. I cannot <laughs> wait to show you my craft. Our craft this time is crafts for a group because this is Monster Squad and club oriented. We wanted to try and come up with crafts that would be fun to do with a bunch of people or at like a summer party or something. And Megan, I have to admit, I really struggled with this one. <laughs> I was having a hard time, too, coming up with a good idea that wouldn't be too hard. It would work for different age groups and would work for a group of kids where they may not all be into the same things. Yeah. So I feel like I need to <laughs> caveat mine before I share it. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? I can go first. All right. Okay. My idea was based off of a birthday party theme that my middle sister, Emily, actually had as a little kid. Mm -hmm. She was really into gardening, plants, things like that. So my mom went out and bought a bunch of clay pots and some cheap plants and some soil and everybody got to plant their own plant and decorate their own pot oh it's so cute I love this yeah so what I like about this craft is you can use it as a good way to just get rid of whatever hobby supplies you have that you don't really have a plan for Mm -hmm. It's a good way to to just dump all that out on the table. You've got your kids. 
you're outside, they get to play in the dirt, get messy, and you're just like, decorate your pot. (laughs) Do whatever you want (laughs) and then uh, plant some plants in it. It's pretty cheap. The clay pots you can get between like a dollar and two dollars a piece. Whatever craft supplies you have at home, you can use. A bag of dirt is, is not that much. And then I like to use succulents because you can get one succulent and every kid can like, you can just pick pieces off of it, Mm -hmm. right? And start planting your own garden. Um, But there's really tons of options. There's no one right way to do this. For the ones that I made, I used some tape for masking and a paint marker. And because we have a lot of hobby stuff at home, uh, I used an airbrush to to do some painting on it. But again, everybody's pot can look different. It's a really cute idea. I love I love it because the like like cost is really low. If you're someone like us who just has like a ton of like paint supplies on hand, it would be really easy to like dip into it. And plants are really hot right now, so I feel like everyone would be pretty excited to get to take their own little pot home. Yeah. And uh, if you want to get sciency about it, you can watch it grow. You can start from seeds and, and watch your seeds grow. Or you can just buy plants that are ready to plant. So mine, <laughs> I feel like after I did my graft, I had like five ideas that I was immediately like, oh, this would have been so much better. <laughs> but I had already done my craft. <laughs> and so I stuck with it. I wanted to do something <laughs> that... I thought it would be fun for kids because I would just love to see what kids would come up with if you gave them like a blank t-shirt and like a bunch of felt letters and you were like, you can have this shirt say anything that you want. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> so, they put the F word. <laughs> so I just made one. Yay. Referencing the movie. Um, so I made a Stephen King rules shirt. It's super easy if you buy felt letters because they're peel and stick. And so you can do any age group. And I had this I vision in my head of, you know, a bunch of six-year-olds with their t-shirts just like saying whatever, like whatever random words that they wanted to just say. And so I do want to do it at some point <laughs> with kids just to see what they come up with. I had a friend in college who did something really similar where she she messaged like a group of like five of us and was just like, or however many people it was. And she just asked like, oh, what's a word that you like? And like, we had no idea what it was for. <laughs> and so I, like, I just gave her like a random word and she had, she was making friendship bracelets that had this random oh. word on it. And so <laughs> I had this friendship bracelet for a long time that had like the word sinew on it. <laughs> Because I didn't know what she was doing with it. I love it. (laughs) And so I immediately had wished that I had done friendship bracelets like two days after (laughs) I did this. But uh, yeah, it's super easy because it's peel and stick and then you just iron it on to set it in place. And so you could either have the kids do it themselves and get whatever crazy kerning they come up with or you you could help them out. I love it. That's so cool. When I was in Girl Scouts, we would make troop shirts all the time. And yeah, we'd have these letters. We'd have puffy paint. 
um, fabric that we could just cut stuff out of. Oh, cute. And yeah, it was it was a good time. So I really like this craft idea. Nice. Yeah, it's super cheap too. I, I got a plain shirt from Target, which is the same price as a plain shirt from Michael's, just FYI. Usually <laughs> when I'm doing tie-dye or other shirt-based crafts, it's really easy to just like buy something from Michael's. Turns out that like the Target men's section, their shirts are like six bucks. So not too bad. And then the felt letters, um, you can get them online. Literally any color, shape, <laughs> size you can imagine. I think they were like three bucks or something. So uh, another very cheap craft, um, especially because the sticker the felt letter pack that I got had like it was like six sheets and each sheet had 3x the alphabet on it. So like you could get one of these packs and like have plenty of letters for any number of kids. And this was our last episode of our mm. kid season. Nope. Nope. It's not. Oh God. I, I keep on getting all fucked Adam's up. Adam's family. Oh my gosh. Because <laughs> we, <laughs> we recorded them in the in a different order. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Um, well, next week is our last episode of the season with Adam's family. And I'm very, very excited to talk Adam's family with you. Me too. See you there. This was not quite dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at notquitedeadpodcast and on Twitter at nqd underscore podcast. Follow our blog for bonus content at notquitedeadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. And happy watching.